Howdy, folks, and welcome to A Green Way Forward. I'm your host, David Cobb, joined, as always, by Michael O'Neill in Syracuse, New York. Howdy, Michael. Hey, David. So, look, you know what, folks? Today is Memorial Day. I'm not going to wish anybody happy Memorial Day because from my way of thinking, Memorial Day in this country, in the capital of empire, um, is really an excuse slash invitation to celebrate U.S. empire. And I'm not going to have any of it. Michael, am I being too harsh? Well, I think you are spot on in terms of our current circumstances and in terms of what Memorial Day has turned into. And Memorial Day has turned into, um, you know, a a vehicle for consumption and for uh, flyovers from military jet planes, and yeah, basically just uh, celebrations of empire and and the consumerism that we extract out of our empire. But there are radical roots to Memorial Day, or at least to some of the formations of Memorial Day. Uh, if I can just leap right into it, uh, Memorial Day uh, in previous times was referred to as Decoration Day in which the uh, graves of, of soldiers and of people who had served in the military were decorated. And in the era that began Memorial Day, as we have come to know it in this country, actually began uh, following the Civil War. And in, in particular, there was a remarkable instance in Charleston, uh, in the South in uh, May of 1865. So this is you know, just immediately almost after the, the termination of, of hostilities there uh, in the Civil War. Uh, it was across five Aprils. So we're talking May 1st when you had uh, 10,000 people in Charleston, uh, black and, and white people, uh, civilians and people who had served in the war who took over this uh, race course. It was a horse racing course that was owned by uh, one of the the slaveholding plantations. And they took it over because this race course during the actual war had been used as an open-air prison of uh, of Union soldiers. And these Union soldiers were tremendously abused and, and were kept in uh, horrible circumstances, even by pris- you know war prison camp standards. Hundreds of, of soldiers died in the prison camp. And so yet, uh, you know, thousands of people from the community who took this over to commemorate uh, those who had died in that uh, in that prison camp. And this was after uh, several uh, hundred uh, um, black working men in the community had actually reinterred the bodies of the people who had died there to give them a more proper burial. And so this is a it was a tremendously poignant and symbolic moment. Uh, where you had working people and freed slaves and and soldiers who who took over for their own purposes for a day of remembrance and also leisure a a you know kind of grotesquely opulent race course that was a symbol of the plantation slaveholding classes affluence at the expense of innumerable human lives and uh, it's only shortly after that that um we see a progression towards Memorial Day as we know it now. So well done, Michael O'Neill. Folks, I want to remind you that you're watching and or listening to A Green Way Forward. This is the program where we take a look at issues, events, organizations, but specifically through the lens of the Green Party's commitment to peace, justice, democracy, and ecology. If you're watching us live on Facebook, 
please feel free to drop a comment or a question into the comment section. Michael O'Neill will be uh, harvesting comments and questions and uh, we'll be getting you into the discussion. If you're listening to us uh, on a podcast, remember that you should forward this podcast uh, to any of your family and friends so we can continue to build the audience. If you're listening on and watching on Facebook, also please share this link right now on your own page or any page that you manage as we continue to build a platform where we the people can actually talk to ourselves without the corporate filter. And yes, we, Michael and I both understand very well the irony of using Facebook to try to get around the corporate media. Michael, I really appreciated the context that you just gave us on Memorial Day and its roots. First, let's just uh, savor uh, the bittersweet irony uh, of the fact that it was on May Day. Uh, let's savor that it happened in Charleston, where we're seeing uh, the site of the big clash with fascists that recently happened uh, in Charleston, including the murder of Heather Oyer. Uh, and let's acknowledge that this happened in May. Uh, and just as uh, Memorial Day had its roots in radical uh, uh, abolitionism and uh, the the Civil War, uh, so too does May share May Day, uh, pardon me, uh, uh, International Mother's Day. And I think it's worth really remembering that Mother's Day began as a call to action to improve the lives of families through health and peace. Uh, Anne Jarvis of Appalachia founded Mother's Day in 1858 to promote sanitation in response to high infant mortality. And then after the Civil War, abolitionist Julia Ward Howe made a Mother's Day call to women to protest war. So when you take a look at the historic context and when you know enough about history, you see time and time again, ordinary people actually fighting back on what we would call an eco-socialist platform or principles, the connection between health, the end of empire, the end of war, and of course, the liberation of enslaved Africans. And David, I just want to give credit where credit is due to the Zen Education Project, which has given uh, me a lot of insight into these holidays and innumerable other days of remembrance in American history and world history. So I uh, always recommend people to check out the Zinn, Z-I-N-N, as in Howard Zinn, the great radical historian and educator, the Zinn Education Project. And, and Michael, since, since you dropped that, I know that there's a famous essay by Howard Zinn titled, Whom Will We Honor Memorial Day? And that's I'm wondering right. if you want to share anything about that. In fact, you could call it infamous because Howard Zinn wrote this essay as part of a biweekly column for the Boston Globe. And when he published this, or when he, he wrote it, it was the last column that they allowed him to write for them. And I think you're going to understand why in just a moment. So Zinn starts out that uh, Memorial Day will be celebrated as usual by high-speed collisions of automobiles and bodies strewn on highways and the sound of ambulance sirens throughout the lands. It will also be celebrated by the displays of flags, the sound of bugles and drums, by parades and speeches, and unthinking applause. It will be celebrated by giant corporations, which make guns, bombs, fighter planes, aircraft carriers, and endless assortment of military junk, and which await the $100 billion in contracts to be approved soon by Congress and the President. Of course, this was in 1976, so you can inflate that $100 billion to the, you know, whatever, $1.8 
whatever trillion that we talk about in military spending now. But he goes on to say, well, we remember the young woman in New Hampshire who refused to allow her husband killed in Vietnam to be given a military burial. She rejected the hollow ceremony ordered by those who sent him and 50,000 others to their deaths. Her courage should be cherished on Memorial Day. There were the B-52 pilots who refused to fly those last vicious raids of Nixon and Kissinger's war. Have any of the great universities so quick to give honorary degrees to God knows whom thought to honor those men and those at this commencement time on this Memorial Day. No politician who voted funds for war, no business contractor for the military, no general who ordered young men into battle, no FBI man who spied on anti-war activities should be invited to public ceremonies on this sacred day. Let the dead of past wars be honored. Let those who live pledge themselves never to embark on mass slaughter again. And he goes on to celebrate Thoreau and Mark Twain and I.F. Stone and Martin Luther King, all who uh, protested the unjust imperial wars of their day and suffered for it uh, in, in both their public um, uh, credibility and in many other ways. And uh, I, it's a fantastic essay. I completely recommend people check it out. It's, again, it's called Whom Will We Honor Memorial Day? And it can be found on the Zinn Education Project. Thank you so much, Michael, for uh, reminding me about that essay. And I would encourage you, Michael, to drop that into the comments section. And uh, I'm going to take this opportunity to really name the fact uh, that both the Democratic and Republican parties are actually parties of war and empire. Now, I recognize that there are many good peace activists who are members of the Democratic Party. No doubt about it. Uh, there is even the occasional principled Republican or, or libertarian-leaning member of the Republican Party uh, who opposes war and empire. But at the leadership level, uh, the people who actually control the party, the funders of the party, the actual leadership of the Democratic Party and the actual leadership of the Republican Party are absolutely committed to a U.S. foreign policy that is fundamentally premised on war and empire, stealing uh, the resources, uh, mostly from the global south and the rest of the world, uh, building an empire. But it's not an American empire. It's not an old-fashioned nation-state empire. Instead, it's a corporate empire. Now, to be clear, that empire is absolutely funded by U.S. tax dollars, it is absolutely, and that war machine, absolutely lubricated with the blood, sweat, and tears of American personnel, men and women, who think that they are doing a patriotic duty. And it is also lubricated by the blood, sweat, and tears of tens of thousands, nay, hundreds of thousands of mostly black, black and brown-skinned uh, human beings across the world. So this empire is disgusting. Uh, it is not being done in my name. I refuse uh, to celebrate Memorial Day as a result. Absolutely. And we have to stand against empire and we have to stand against the even mundane seeming uh, little commemorations, right? It's it's the way that empire works its way into everyday life in the form of cookouts and doubleheader baseball games and things like that, that we have to stand against those too, or at the very least call attention to the uh, perverse logic and destruction behind those little mundane everyday symbols. 
That's right. And, you know, uh, I really appreciate, Michael, you uh, again bringing Howard Zinn in, but I also want to appreciate you for uh, harvesting comments and questions off of uh, the comment section of our Facebook live stream. And I want to lift up Gordon, who asks, does the Green Party support impeachment? Now, I'm going to be honest, I don't know if the National Green Party of the United States has taken a formal position. Michael, uh, do you know the answer to that question? Because I want to be clear, Gordon, stay with me, because we're going to find out if the National Green Party supports it. Then I'm going to weigh in on my personal opinion as a Green and invite Michael to do the same thing. Michael, do you know the National Green Party's position or do we have one? I'm not aware of the National Green Party's position. Uh, when I worked on Howie Hawkins' campaign for governor last year, our campaign supported impeachment of Trump. Howie was saying he was he was looking forward to Congress impeaching Donald Trump's ass, and you know, that was <laughs> great. So you know, always good to see the candidate fired up. So um, you know, there are certainly high profile Greens uh, who have you know called for impeachment. Uh, I think that. Uh, uh, well, yeah, David, let's go back to you. Well, I'll tell you what, I, I'm, I am going to be clear and unambiguous. I am a supporter uh, of impeachment. I absolutely believe that impeachment proceedings should be brought against Donald Trump. Uh, to be clear, I also thought that there were uh, virtually every president uh, in modern times uh, deserved impeachment for a variety of offenses. So uh, I believe that that is a tool that is not frequently used, but should be used. Uh, and Donald Trump's uh, uh, conduct, uh, including lies, uh, uh, is is as obvious an example as they could be. So this prominent green, to the extent that I can call myself a prominent green as a former Green Party presidential nominee, former attorney general candidate for the state of Texas, campaign manager for the Stein Baraka campaign, this green is an unequivocal vocal proponent and supporter of impeachment. My feeling is that uh, there are numerous actions Donald Trump has taken uh, since taking office that warrant impeachment, uh, all kinds of conflicts of interest and, you know, breaches of protocol. But if the impeachment proceedings just become another theater for neoliberal Democrats to air their conspiracy theory regarding uh, blaming Russia for the election of Donald Trump, then that's a squandering of the impeachment proceedings. And you know, Michael, I com- yeah, go ahead. Please continue. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And I really appreciate how uh, you both support uh, impeachment, but also warn against what the neoliberal Democrats are likely to try to do with it. I also want to point out that the leadership of the Democratic Party are fighting with their own base about impeachment. That's part of the reason that I support impeachment. To be clear, I support impeachment because this president uh, because of his numerous lies and uh, uh, involvement, uh, it, it really fraudulent involvement uh, in his uh, business dealings deserves to be impeached. I agree with you, Michael, that collusion with Russia is not a one of the grounds for impeachment. Uh, I also agree that the neoliberal Democrats have attempted to use collusion with Russia and anti-Trump hysteria. And isn't it interesting, folks, let's just take a moment and note that with the resistance that the Democratic Party claims that the sky is falling, yelling that they did against Donald Trump, 
uh, now that they have a majority uh, in Congress, are not actually willing to engage this process. They're not even willing to engage in genuine investigation over anything except for this ridiculous trumped-up idea of collusion with Russia. And I just, guess what I'm getting – oh, go ahead. Well, just a couple of weeks ago, weren't they saying we were in a constitutional crisis? It, yes, like- right. These crises come and go, and it's almost as if they just are waving the flag for political opportunism, but not actually willing to uh, like put some skin in the game and actually prosecute these uh, these activities and that these these dire circumstances that they claim are occurring. And that's the point, Michael. I uh, I support impeachment uh, because I think it's a tool, especially the uh, the continued boiling and roiling, if you will. I'm going to call it impeachment from below. Uh, what you're seeing are genuine progressives, not just radicals, but progressives and liberals who are absolutely outraged at the ineffectiveness of the Democratic Party's resistance or what I sometimes call met resistance. Um, it, it is uh, an opportunity for uh, genuine progressives and liberals to find common ground and work together to make that demand. Because I believe that we have to push the contradictions. We have to push the contradictions of a voting system that's forcing people to feel like they have to vote against candidates that they want instead of for the ones that we, that they, that they really uh, want to support. But the voting system forces them to feel like they have to hold their nose to cast a ballot. I think we have to force the contradictions uh, of a, a criminal justice system that is fundamentally racist uh, I think that we have to force the contradictions of our foreign policy. I think we have to force the contradictions and 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 not only force people, but invite people to recognize that we're in a moment of polarization. And the question of the day, which side are you on? Because as the polarization continues, the inherent contradictions of capitalism continue. We are going to either live in some viral form of fascism or some form of eco-socialism. The neoliberal center is literally crumbling before our very eyes. I know a lot of weak-kneed liberals are holding on to the idea, but at the end of the day, folks, you're going to have to choose a side. And I, for my money, am standing with peace, justice, democracy, and ecology. I'm an unequivocal revolutionary calling to restructure this society. And my electoral process, my uh, not just my political process, but my electoral process is with the Green Party. There's a lot there, David, to to think about and to chew on. I mean, there are contradictions in the contradictions. So you have Democrats, uh, party members of the Democratic Party who are pushing impeachment from below, but they're pushing impeachment because they've been spoon fed over almost three years, a conspiracy theory that Trump was installed by Russian scum, as Keith Olbermann put it, into the White House. And that's why they want impeachment. And so while we're trying to push the contradictions in the Democratic Party elite leadership, the actions and the uh, propaganda of the Democratic Party neoliberal elite leadership has had real ramifications on their members who have entrusted these leaders to... uh, to tell them what's going on with the president and what they've been told is that he was installed by Russian Facebook ads and collusion and at times Jill Stein and the Green Party, which we know is ridiculous. And they believe that. And they're, you know, marching on Twitter, you know, beating that drum. So 
we, if, if we want to pursue that, we want to push those contradictions, we have to be prepared to convince those people who are part of a saber rattling with Russia. And by the way, since it's Memorial Day, like let's point out, we are in escalating hostilities with Iran, Russia, and Venezuela to all, you know, different degrees of, uh, of, you know, supporting coups and economic sanctions and parking aircraft carriers uh, off of people's borders. There's a lot going on. There is a lot going on. And you are absolutely right that there are contradictions within contradictions. You're certainly right that there is a large number of the Democratic Party base who have fallen for the utter propaganda and lies associated uh, with collusion with Russia. And that's exactly the point. I think that we have to push those contradictions. I do believe that any reasonable uh, analysis or investigation uh, actually reveals that, no, there was not collusion with Russia. But yes, without doubt, uh, there were lies. Uh, there are business dealings. There are any number of reasons for impeachment. Uh, so, you know, uh, again, I don't think that, it, like we both know, Michael, uh, and any rational person knows that the Republican-controlled Senate is not going to actually convict Donald Trump. But it does weaken and undermine Donald Trump. And I do want to name that Donald Trump is a fascist. I mean, we do have to understand that his calls to the ethnostate, his calls uh, to to the absolute worst elements, uh, we need to be the ones to actually uh, embrace the truth and be willing to say it loudly and uh, and and be an anti-fascist party. And I'm proud of the fact that the Green Party recently did take a formal position, an anti-fascist position, formally, politically, which, by the way, the Democratic Party is unwilling to do. David, I think the word uh, fascism is is used in a lot of different contexts in in the current political milieu. And I think that there are folks who believe that fascism really should only be applied to mid 20th century, you know, European dictatorships. And then there are people who use the word fascism to describe almost any authoritarian body uh, that they want to contest. And I, I would like to hear how you describe fascism, how you apply fascism to the current political context and to Donald Trump as someone who is certainly aspires to fascism, uh, if not as, as an actual fascist. Fair, fair enough. And I appreciate the invitation and the, 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 the political challenge. Uh, I want to start by saying I was one of those people, say, 10 years ago before, who would always chastise other comrades, colleagues, leftists, who would toss around the word fascist. You know, the police beat somebody up, fascist. You know, my dad's right wing positions. He's a fascist. No, I would say fascism has a specific definition. Uh, it is a combination of the merger of uh, the, the ruling elite economically with uh, militarism and with a, an ethno state. There, it is a specific kind of language and, and verbiage, and it has a very powerful word. It is not mere totalitarianism, as you alluded to in your question. Likewise, it is not just corporate power. There is something specific about it because fascism is a political philosophy. And that political philosophy is one in which you have a merger of uh, the economic interest, the, the ruling elite, 
uh, with the old guard and with the military state. Remember that Benito Mussolini, the famous fascist dictator and philosopher, said proudly, we should call fascism corporatism because it merges the economic might of our transnational corporations with the military might of the Italian state itself. And this is important, Michael, every fascist uh, regime has the idea of nationalism and it describes the ethno state. Who is the we and who is the they? So the characteristics of fascism require all of those things together. And I believe that just as fascism emerged in the 1920s for a reason, it's emerging now. I'll take this moment to point out that in the 1920s, fascism emerged politically because we ha- we were worldwide, globally transitioning from an agrarian society to an industrial society. And in that moment of chaos and confusion and how are things going to work, fascists had a political philosophy and a way to organize society, including economics. And today we are witnessing the end of industrialism as we understand it, entering into whether you call it automation, robotics, technology, uh, the information age, everything is basically falling apart and fascists are coming forward and describing a way to order society that has to do with creating a boundary, the us and the them, uh, and a way to actually make it happen. So I think that we have to understand that fascism is the next stage of late-stage capitalism unless we interrupt it and create some version of eco-socialism. The reality is this, Michael, that capitalism is coming to an end, but don't celebrate that because the next phase of it is going to be some version of fascism unless we interrupt it. I think that is all really helpful and descriptive. And just a couple other elements I want to toss in, which is that fascism frequently comes with people uh, expressing a disdain for, let's call it an an excess of democracy, that, you know, we need a a real man, because it's almost always a man, uh, we need a, a real strong man to get things done, get things in line. And appeal to that authoritarian instinct for a kind of ruthless, brutal efficiency and dispensing with the niceties of things like human rights and civil rights and women's rights. And, and in that, in that, um, creating of the other, the us versus them, there's frequently that reference to a kind of purity, right? There's a, a national purity, uh, a threat to our bodies, to the bodies of our children and our women, uh, from these, uh, you know, as, as Donald Trump has referred to immigrants and other people as, as rapists and thugs and murderers and drug dealers. It's a, uh, treating the other as a kind of disease or, or carriers of disease that's uh, grotesque and, and visceral and sick. That's exactly right. And that's why I do actually believe that Donald Trump is a version of fascism. I mean, let's be clear. Steve Bannon is an unequivocal one, right? Uh, and the people that he surrounds himself with. I think that Donald Trump is just basically a shyster and a con artist, uh, but he's using fascism and fascists are using him. Um, I do want to make sure that we catch a couple of these comments. Uh, Kevin writes in to say, let's share this and get this message out there. We need to stand together for peace, ecological justice, stop warmongering, 
uh, democracy, the four pillars of the International Green Party movement. So thank you, Kevin. And I hope that you and all of the viewer listeners of the Green Wave Forward will make sure to share this. If you're watching on Facebook, share it on your own page or any page that you manage. Manage. If you are listening on a podcast, make sure to uh, forward that podcast. And also, please go to the website, agreenwayforward.org, and sign up so we can continue to build this platform. Mark writes in with a provocative question, and he says, what is the plan to replace the DNC or the Democratic National Committee, or are we going to remain irrelevant until the world ends? Well, I'll tell you, Mark, my answer is that you replace the Democratic National Committee with the Green Party. I don't believe it is possible to work within the existing Democratic Party and actually get uh, anywhere because the, literally the rules are completely stacked against you. Uh, and anytime you get anywhere near it, uh, you'll be lied and cheated to within it. So as hard as it is to create a new political party, I believe, based on my analysis that it's more likely to succeed by creating a new political party that is based on those fundamental principles of peace, justice, democracy, and ecology than it is to try to work within the utterly corrupted Democratic Party, because I believe that corporate cash has literally been like a cancer that is massetized within the body politic of the Democratic Party. Um, so I don't believe that we replace the DNC within the Democratic Party structure. I believe we create a new uh, political party. Uh, lastly, Ku Rush writes in to say fascism equals capitalism on a bad day. So I think, Ku, that you and I are in uh, agreement there. Michael, any reflections? I know I went pretty quickly through some of those most provocative kind of comments, but I want to invite you to hear your thoughts. couple things. One, um, capitalism is always a bad day for somebody in capitalism, uh, usually for the people at the bottom of the pile, uh, always for the people at the bottom of the pile. What we see is when capitalism is having a bad day, even within its own terms, within its own logic, and the, the profiteers at the top, who, of course, for generations have said that they wanted a, a minimal state, they wanted small government, they're then asking the government to step in and save them, and to crack down on workers, and to uh, expropriate natural resources, and, and to extract from the earth, and to launch uh, rapacious wars to extract the uh, natural resources and, and the labor and the people from other countries. That is how I interpret that uh, being capitalism on a bad day. And then regarding the plan to replace the DNC, um, we, in order to replace the Democratic Party, we have to uh, organize and we have to talk to people who we're not currently talking to in our neighborhoods, in our churches, in our community groups, and we have to have intense strategic conversations with people to help them realize, to come to their own understanding, that in order for us to get the things that we want and need in order to be healthy and humane beings on a sustainable planet, we have to come together and we have to work hard as hell to fight in the streets, in the ballot box, and uh, wherever else, and to build institutions that can compete uh, to, to show a, a different logic, a, a different perspective, and a different way for human beings to relate to each other. And that's something that we talk about on this program every week that we're on, whether it's uh, 
changing the rules in your community so that you could have uh, either nonpartisan elections or uh, ranked choice voting, single transferable vote, proportional representation so that we can have more fair, more just elections. Uh, or it's uh, coming together to build radical credit unions and other forms of, of mutual aid of the kind that we see in uh, Jackson, Mississippi with the Cooperation Jackson Project and what uh, David has been working on in Humboldt County with Cooperation Humboldt. And uh, David, we have a decision to make. Uh, do we yeah. want to get into the European Parliament elections or not? And uh, I, I think maybe just touching on it and in, in terms of what the um, possibilities are for electing Greens in alternative voting systems and in alternative institutions than we, than we see here, uh, it you know, might be worth maybe touching on that briefly before we close. Well, thanks for that, Michael. There's, so there's a lot there, right? So I do want to uh, uh, take you up on that and shift gears just a little bit to the European Parliament elections. Uh, they're being touted by Greens. The Greens uh, throughout Europe uh, did very well in the European Parliament elections, but so too uh, did the far right and nationalist parties uh, do well. And I want to use this as an example uh, to make the point, actually two points that are really important. Number one, because they have proportional representation in those elections, uh, you're seeing a much broader diversity of opinion, and you're actually seeing the, a true snapshot uh, of where the people are uh, in, in the electoral process. So that's one thing. Uh, the second thing is the my assessment uh, that what you're seeing, remember that the, uh, the center left and the center right parties basically were collapsing, uh, in those European parliamentary elections. They, they they were in a free fall. Um, and what you saw was basically the left and the right gaining prominence. I submit to you that the European parliament elections are yet another example of the fact that neoliberalism is failing. Uh, that people are looking for a new vision and that just as the neoliberal center is failing, people are going to have to choose between some version of fascism or some version of eco-socialism. That's a very broad brush, but that's how I assess uh, the European parliamentary elections that we just saw. Right. And I think it goes back to the old quote that there will be socialism or barbarism. And that quote Thank goes you, back. Luxembourg. Yeah, right. I mean, over a hundred years, and you know, we're putting it in terms of socialism or fascism, but six of one, half dozen of the other. I think that's right. And you know, Michael, I think that uh, what I would like to do, because you said a lot in your penultimate comment, uh, what really occurs to me, folks, is at the end of the day, those of us who are fighting and struggling for a a peaceful, just society, one that's based on kindness and, and graciousness uh, and love and compassion, we have to actually make the case to ordinary people. We have to build authentic relationships with them. And there is no shortcut to, to quote, uh, you know, one of your uh, uh, mentors and favorite authors, Michael, there is no shortcut uh, to that kind of organizing. Uh, and I think that, uh, do we have an actual date for uh, that interview? Uh, we do not at this point, um, but uh, no, we're referring to Jane McAlevey. I would call her a, a mentor from afar, uh, <laughs> but I do encourage people to check out Jane McAlevey's Twitter and her website and all of her books and writings and YouTube uh, talks. And um, 
you know, a lot of the keep an eye on a lot of the wildcat uh, and militant labor activity that we're seeing right now in the teacher sector and in healthcare and, and other industries, uh, because we're seeing some important organizing principles put into play that all of us can learn from. There's no doubt about it. And I also want to say this, I think that it's time that we brought back uh, a conversation around fascism. So uh, for those of you, I know that there were lots of comments uh, in the, on the Facebook stream. I think that, uh, we'll bring somebody in and, and dissect and go a little bit deeper there. I also think, Michael, we should, because we touched on Europe and, you know, I know and you know, and maybe a lot of people don't, but there was a pretty insulting uh, letter uh, that a individual, but an individual uh, high up uh, in the European Greens sent to the Green part of the United States. Uh, let's, let's, uh, let's dissect into that in a future program. What do you say? Yeah, because I think we need to have a frank conversation about the difference between green parties in different countries and in different regions of the world, as different green parties have maybe been involved in parliament and parliamentary coalitions over the years. And as they've had a taste of mainstream success, they have uh, and some of them have shifted their views towards a more neoliberal mainstream perspective, or at least adjacent to that. And there's a lot that we can learn from green parties in different countries and the successes that we've had, that they've had. Some of them, we need to follow their example. Some of them, we need to learn what they did so as to not follow that example and to blaze a trail so that we continue to evolve and develop the green movement here in our own country for the purposes that we need. And that's why Michael O'Neill and I are unabashed red greens. We are eco-socialists. We don't make any bones about it. Absolutely, we do our electoral political work within the Green Party. But both Michael and I also know that politics is beyond elections. Absolutely, we should be voting and we should engage in elections. But we know we have to actually create new institutions uh, that are based on uh, the core principles and, and the four pillars of the International Green Party movement. Michael, the time just flew by. I'm going to give you a chance for any final thoughts. Well, just from the comment section, I think we need to maybe do touch on uh, open primaries in the future. Um, that's an, I think that's a dead end and a distraction. Uh, I think primaries are for party members to make decisions about who they want to represent them. And uh, in the state of New York, open primaries would be a death sentence for the Green Party because of our crazy opportunity to ballot laws. But that's for another time. We'll call that a teaser. And uh, and we've got folks who want to uh, learn about, you know, what what to say to people who still kind of blindly believe that the Democrats are working for them. So that gets back to organizing conversations. And that's a topic that I'm sure we'll be making our way back to very soon here on A Green Way Forward. Absolutely. There's a, a just a ton of programs that came up out of that comment section. I promise you this, Michael and I are going to take a look at this comment thread. We uh, both have talked before how we really enjoy the open lines where we don't have a guest, uh, where we just sort of riff on things that come in. So many of you uh, have really, uh, we couldn't really capture all of them. I think that what we might do is figure out some sort of way uh, to go through and capture some show ideas and do a deeper dive on all of these. In the meantime, I want to thank you, Michael O'Neill, for serving as the executive producer and co-host of A Green Way Forward. Uh, but most importantly, I want to thank you, the viewer listener. Uh, remember, with a hat tip to Gil Scott Heron, the revolution will not be televised, but
but it can be brought to you over sources with non-corporately filtered news information and analysis. The fact that you're watching this program and or listening to this program demonstrates that you're already a step ahead of the game. You're breaking out of the propagandized uh, mindset of the corporate media uh, and beginning to think for yourself. Let's take the next step together and engage in strategic conversation about how we make and implement plans to actually win a peaceful revolution. Thanks again. Peace. A Green Way Forward is broadcast live on Mondays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time from Dr. Jill Stein's Facebook page. Subscribe to our podcast and e-newsletter at agreenwayforward.org to make sure that you never miss an episode. You can also find us and rate us on iTunes, with more podcast platforms being added each week. Our theme music is Retro Future Dirty by Kevin McLeod, whose fine music can be found at incomptech.com and is available for use under a Creative Commons attribution license. This is Michael O'Neill for David Cobb reminding you to please spread the word about A Green Way Forward and to send us your thoughtful questions and comments to agreenwayforward at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.